Hey, Task Talks listeners, kids are experiencing trauma like never before, but how can you figure out whether they've been affected and how it impacts their behavior and performance at school? The FACT teacher form is the first comprehensive instrument measuring the effect of stress and trauma on children's behavior and performance at school from the teacher's perspective. Help them feel safe, supported, and ready to learn. Learn more at parinc.com backslash FACT underscore teacher or contact your PAR or PAR assessment consultant, Theo Miron at T-M-I-R-O-N at parinc.com. Greetings, salutations, and welcome back to the Task Talks podcast, the podcast where we talk about all the goings-ons in the world of school psychology and other random musings. As always, I am Chris Ponce. And I'm Brooke Roberts. Welcome. Yasala here. And Megan Medina. How are you guys doing today? You doing all right? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. That's yeah, good. Doing That's great. Good. Anything going on in your guys' lives? Anything you guys want to get off your chest? 100% satisfied? Mm. I believe you have something for us, though. Chris, I was about to say, you? Chris, you have something to tell us. Okay, yeah. So obviously, on the show notes, I did put in there. I have a really funny story to tell, but then I was like, I do actually have two funny stories to tell. So I'll let you guys choose. But all I'm going to give you is the title of the stories, which I just came up with like 15 minutes ago. So the first story is called "Sweaty Interpretation." Second story is called "WTF Lemon." So which one Ooh. would you guys like to hear? Can we vote? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think we have a vote. So Brooke, what's your vote? I'm going to go with sweaty. Oh, see, see, I want WTF lemon. Oh, Megan. Oh, oh, Megan I'm it's a tiebreaker, and I'm choosing sweaty. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do WTF lemon down the road. That one's actually pretty funny, too. All right, so sweaty interpretation. This is about the year before COVID, so a couple years ago, and it was an interpretation that I was doing with some of the most beautiful parents, not like physically, just like the nicest people. They're so like patient. Um, they're very understanding, those types of parents. It was, I set it up for the end of the day. So school gets out at 2.40. Um, I set it up for like 3 p.m., okay? This was middle of March, right before spring break for us in San Antonio. And in San Antonio, you have to kind of know how to work layers with clothing because the morning starts off pretty cold. The afternoon starts warming up. It's not blistering like August heat, like 110, but it's like hitting like 80s, low 80s, right? So end of the day. So your interpretation you mean like sweaty interpretation like, yes like a dream interpretation no 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 no, no. Brooke, you're you're getting a little bit ahead of us here so let's oh, okay i'm sorry on the breaks all right let's so, the story play out man yeah man okay. i'm setting the tone so all right okay. so 2 30 right before the kids get out i'm like you know what i'm gonna run my stuff down to the car real quick all the test kits i have because you know we always carry three thousand pounds worth of it because this was going to be an au interpretation for an older kid which is you know a little bit more lengthy it's a little more heavy right so I run everything down. I have, I, at the time I had this like, like a comfort blanket, but it was a leather jacket I always wore with me because it just made me feel better. You know, just like the weighted type of it. So I mm. wore that going out to my car. And now, the way our school's did, did you receive up, a Did you receive a prescription for that weighted blanket? No, 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 I stole it. Um, okay. So, <laughs> so it, our, our school's kind of built like a cross, right? Where it's like a big long hallway with little pods that go out, which is where each grade is. And I'm upstairs 
in one of the pods. So I have to go downstairs and then go all the way down to the end of the school to where my car is parked, which is all the way at one end of the school. I have my jacket on, I have my backpack on. I leave my like tote bag at the front office because I was going to do the interpretation in our conference room so I could project it. This is when we projected things before COVID, right? Before Zoom meetings and all that stuff. <clears throat> so I drop it off at the front. I have all my stuff on. I start walking down the hallway and I go all the way out to the car. I put all the stuff in my car, but as I'm kind of walking up, I notice the parents are already walking into the school and I did not expect them to be there early, right? The meeting was at three, it's like 2.35 at this point. So I get a little bit of a panic going on and I start trying to hurry up. But in my panic, I don't take off my jacket. And I don't notice that until I get halfway back to the building. And I have to go all the way to the front of the building because my badge doesn't work to get into the damn side door, okay? So I walk into the building and I've already got a little bit of a flop sweat going on. I can already kind of feel it down my back a little bit because it's already hot and I didn't take off my jacket. So I go in there, I do my introductions. I say, how are you guys doing? Yada, yada, yada. We're going to go right into the conference room, okay? So I grab my bag, start walking to the conference room, and then I notice there's a meeting being held in there. So I start having a little bit of a panic. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, okay, well, I guess we're not going to do it in there. So we're going to have to go all the way back up to my office, which is out of the front office, up the stairs, down the hall, kind of where I went to, but on the second story. All right. So now we're doing lengthy walking. I'm trying to make small talk in between this. I've already got sweat coming down the front of my forehead, down the back of my head, and I feel it kind of dripping right <laughs> at this point. And remember, these are like very good parents. We have all, we all silently acknowledge what's going on with my body at this point, <laughs> <laughs> but no, no words have been said yet. Okay. So <laughs> we go up the room, we go up the stairs. I'm carrying my bag. I still haven't taken off my damn jacket because for whatever freaking reason, I haven't done it. We go into my room and I turned off my computer. So I have to turn it on and we're sitting there waiting. Again, still sweating, have not stopped yet. It's now like running down my face and I have glasses on. And for glasses wearing folk, that means they just keep slowly slipping down my nose and I have to keep pushing them back up, right? Slowly pushing back up. And the parents aren't making eye contact with me this entire time. They're just staring at the computer. So we're all staring <laughs> at a computer turning on at this point. <laughs> and so I log in, I log into the, the program that we use. Um, I start trying to like panically go to the screens because I've now, I've now kind of acknowledged at one point that I made the joke like, oh, it's a little warm in here, right? You know, trying to break the tension and I got the little chuckle on them and they didn't say anything. So whatever, By the, besides the point, I start doing the interpretation and then the dreadful thing happens where I see a bead of sweat come down my nose drip off my nose onto my hand on the laptop. And so what I have to do is I have to look at them and I look at them and I go, if you excuse me for a second, I'm going to go to the bathroom real fast and clean up. And they're like, yes, yes, you can go and do that. <laughs> <laughs> I go into the bathroom and I'm just like freaking office basketball episode where they're just like cleaning themselves off in the bathroom with like paper towels right and just sweat like wiping myself everywhere and I go back and the interpretation goes off with a hitch you know they love me but up until that point it was probably the most uncomfortable interpretation I've ever done for physically for physical body reasons more than anything <laughs> else <laughs> that, that glasses thing is the worst like it I, is. I have my glasses will literally fall off my face like if I look in the wrong direction like if there's sweat <laughs> on the nose it's like and they're gone well, see, that in, in today's world with masks, I don't know how many times I pull them off, which never makes you look smart, right? Just mm -hmm. grab them off the ear and the glasses come flying off and stuff like that. So <laughs> any questions mm. about my experience? That's, that's a, a great story. Has 
do you still wear the jacket? The, the no, my wife made me get rid of jacket. it because it was all crinkled and nasty. It, it, we did have a bit of a, a funeral pyre for it um, because it, I had had it for many, many a moon. Um, but she did eventually make me throw it away. And it was it was a truly a, a sad day. I thought you were, were Hawaiian, not Viking. No, no, no. Sense. Well, I, I felt like it needed, I don't have a canoe or an ocean next to me for me to put it in there and light that on fire either as, in, as, as is the way of the Hawaiian. So. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I don't know how to segue out of this, but I think <laughs> yes. totally introduce our awesome guest for this episode. So I have known Dr. Baker for a few years now, but in these few years now, I have come to know that she is not only a badass person, but she's a badass practitioner and a badass BCBA. Um, she has kind of taken a role in our district um, and kind of, and I'll kind of let her speak to what she is doing, but she is freaking phenomenal. So Dr. Jen Baker, how are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be here with y'all and being asked to do this today. We're super excited for you to do. I hope you're not nervous. I just told a really embarrassing story. So I hope that kind of helps you a little bit, but usually what we want to do with our guests is kind of know how they got into this field. Most people we've noticed have kind of just learned about our field as they're applying to grad school. I don't know if that's the case with you, but how did you become a school psychologist? And then how did you further on become and betray your people and become a BCBA? Yeah, so um, I knew I wanted to study psychology right out of high school. Um, I, uh, unlike most people, that I knew that that was going to be a, a eight-year endeavor. <laughs> so uh, I knew that I was going to go get to grad school whenever I was done. Um, I flirted with the idea of going to medical school or um, branching out of Texas to go to a sports psychology program. Um, I was always interested in the brain and neuropsychology, so I thought about that. But um, ultimately, I went to Texas State um, in San Marcos. So uh, they have a fantastic school psychology program that really uh, plugged it well <laughs> for yeah. psychology students. And um, I also love students. I love mental health. So I figured that was a, a perfect opportunity and I didn't have to go anywhere. It was, I mean, it was convenient, <laughs> right? Because I went to get my bachelor's there to go um, get my specialist degree there as well. Um, I used to work in a daycare when I was in high school. So uh, working with tiny humans was always uh, a passion of mine. Yeah. Um, well, well, so yeah. If we can, if we can back up a little bit, how did you, did you know about school psychology already or how did you become aware of it? No. So my bachelor's is in psychology and my, um, ma my minor was in child development. So okay. a lot of the classes were in uh, the family and consumer sciences department as well as psychology. So I can't actually remember which one plugged the school psychology um, program, but it, it made it very alluring that, okay, well, I'll, I'll stay a Bobcat and um, see where this takes me. Awesome. All right. So, so what then led you to pursue a doctorate? Did you go immediately after master's or specialist, or did you take some, uh, take a gap year before your doctorate? <laughs> a gap year? <laughs> Um, no, so I, um, I was practicing as a school psychologist for six years um, within the area. I worked at all levels, uh, early childhood up to 18 plus vocational students. So I got a good mixture of different uh, levels. And um, if, if, if not all my per former professors or supervisors can attest to, um, I'm a knowledge seeker. And so I get not bored, but I'm just 
always curious and I'm that annoying four-year-old that's like, well, why? Why? Yeah. Why? Tell me more. I have more. one of those in my house right now. I, I, yeah, I was going to say, I have, I have experienced that daily, so yeah. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, it can be um, quite problematic um, when you're writing a literature review or you're getting into research because one question leads to 10 other questions or research topics, and it becomes that six degree of Kevin Bacon really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it's, it's good to have that inquisitive mind, but I wanted to do more and um, I love being an LSSP and I wanted to find a program that let me work as an LSSP and did my studies at the same time. So um, I remember going to TAF and uh, Texas Tech had a table and they talked about their program and they had a great hybrid program where I could do both, uh, yeah. work, work as an LSSP full-time and also go to school full-time. So yeah, I had a a six-year gap in between uh, my specialist degree and and my doctoral starting starting that uh, now it's been 10 it years. It makes sense but... you're just probably trying to find yourself correct in those six years. Yeah it was difficult for my husband to um, accept another loan <laughs> more student loans he, you know we all uh, know kind of what the um, salary is for an LSSP so he's yeah. like are you sure about that? So you want to go further into that yeah. field <laughs> for a thousand dollar stipend, right? Yeah. Hey, so, hey, was one Brooke Roberts at that table at TASP? Um, so I already knew Brooke kind of in and out just through TASP and through um, other friends. Uh, he might have been, but I wouldn't have been like Brooke oh, not, was sitting right there. Not, not very day. memorable, right? <laughs> uh, he, was, he was once I stepped foot on Texas Tech's campus. So, <laughs> Any comment, Brooke, about this? Always on my best behavior, and I probably was giving away fireballs at that table. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sold me, so there you go. That's all we need. All right, so Jen, so you're in your doctorate program. Is it in school psychology? Because I know you're currently, you work primarily as a BCBA. So when did that kind of transition happen? Well, I actually don't work primarily as a BCBA. My, yep, my, my information is up to date. <laughs> <laughs> my title is actually district uh, school psychologist. Um, but yes, I do have a BCBA as well. Um, in, at Texas Tech's program, they had a high, they had a, um, I don't know what you call it, broke a, a track. They yeah. had a counseling track and they had a BCBA track. And quite frankly, I called up my advisor and said, well, what does what get me versus something else? Uh, you know, I'm already really focused on this doctoral degree. Like, why do I need one or wait, one track or the other? And so they went through the explanation and I've always been interested in behavior. I worked in an autism clinic. Um, while I was in grad school for my uh, master's program, I worked for the Shy Mental Health Center in San Marcos, uh, where I was an adolescent and child case manager. So really saw the medical side of uh, the world, which I encourage anyone who wants to be in psychology or social work to get that experience because it will be like none other. You'll right. see and hear things that you never <laughs> wish upon anyone, but it, it's it's exciting work because you get a lot of experience with trauma and de-escalation strategies and helping students with their families so more family systems kind of support. So I always liked the idea of learning more about behavior in particular in my program, I love Texas State, but we didn't learn a lot through our LSSP program about behavior. I think we had one class um, in special ed about writing SBAs. 
Right. Which was great. I mean, we were paired with the special ed teachers though, um, which was great to learn from them and, and stuff, but they went further in that FBA and BIP track than we did. And it was really hard to write some of those behavioral recommendations that we might as an LSST. And even working in the autism clinic, it's great. I, I knew how to assess a kid. I knew the academic implications of that. But what happens when a kid's taking off their clothes while you're assessing them? What do yeah. you do? What <laughs> is, do you do? There's nothing when in the technical kid... manual about that? And I speak completely from experience. I've had everything happen. <laughs> I've had kids, what do you do when they put Rover in their mouth? Yeah. <laughs> on it. Well, it that's, invalid. To... that's invalid. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, or just running out of the room, you know? So there are these behaviors that are integral to uh, our job as LSSCs that I think that we do need more training in our um, preparation programs for behavior because yeah, it's not all about assessment, right? I mean, they have to behave for us to get those uh, reliable assessments done. And we have to know how to react and how to support those kids even in that momentary time. So I digress, but that's why I wanted to do more. I wanted to learn more because I didn't think that my program had um, a a good behavior basis. So I said, you know what? Sign me up for that BCBA track because I think uh, that will make me a better, well-rounded practitioner altogether. Yeah. Well, I think it has. So I guess, tell us a little about what your current role is since I botched that already. (laughs) (laughs) My current role. (laughs) Yeah, district school psychologist. I'm curious what that entails. Because I'm just a analysis P, so I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, so I work at the district office, and I honestly think, uh, I mean, I love my district, and I think um, they recognize the skills or the experience that I have, and they kind of put me in this position uh, to really help with the behavior systems that are in our district, because there isn't a behavior person, per se. Like, there's not um, a coordinator, um, a director, or anything over that, that, whether that's gen ed or whether that's special education. So they saw a need and they said, you know what? School psychologists can help with behavior. Why not? Oh, she's got a BCBA too. Let's, let's get her in there. So kudos to them for finding a way to, to make it work. And I've kind of made the position what it is and what our, our needs are. So what I do right now, <laughs> Chris, um, and why probably uh, Chris asked me to be on the um, show today is I, I consult all the time, like probably 85% District of my yeah. job district-wide. So, um, I mean, I, in a given day, I might be on the phone with the deputy superintendent about um, a student that's running into a construction zone um, outside and <laughs> I might go to the campus and actually consult face-to-face or I might be over the phone. It might be through Zoom meetings. So someone is, like I said, as high as the deputy superintendent, but then also at the campus level, at the campus administrators, uh, I do PDs and really converse with the uh, directors of transportation about why students are doing things on the bus that they shouldn't be doing. Yeah. Um, So you're not just centralized to like the special education side. Um, yes, I am funded from the special education. Oh, that was a, that was a nice political way to answer that question. They're going to miss I mean, again. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if you look at our NAS model, we should be doing all students, right? And so a lot of my interaction is for students who 
if I didn't have that consult with that administrator or that campus, it might turn into a SPED referral. <laughs> so right. I do general consultation where I don't, we don't talk about names. We just talk about general things going on and different strategies that they might try or um, do. My favorite uh, thing that I tell anyone that I consult with is I give suggestions, you make decisions. Because I, I know. That's a great yeah, way to let's say it. Mar <laughs> let's market it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because it's true. And I think that's uh, what consultation is all about is someone wants to hear something that they don't already know or they haven't thought of because yeah. they wouldn't be asking you for help, right? It's just how we help kids self-regulate that they wouldn't be... <laughs> screaming and running out of classroom if they knew how to communicate what was going on. And that's a form of communication. Same thing goes for um, administrators or teachers or uh, parents asking for help. Like they want help. They want someone that thinks a different way than they do to provide some different options that they haven't thought about before. And right. so I don't give them one option. I, I look and I listen. We think through different things that they could possibly try, but I don't say I don't issue directives and say, hey, you need to try this or do yeah. this because I'm not there. I right. don't know the kid. I don't know the situation. You know what's best, but let's think through it. And being an LSSP helps us think about um, the, the cognitive issues that are going around with that student, the trauma issues that are going with that student, stuff that some other professionals might not think of, but we have experience and training in. Makes sense. I want to put a pin in that, something you said about um, – I'm not there. Um, but Brooke, go ahead. That's really, you know, you're, as you're talking, um, Jen, you're really helping me to think through consultation. Could you have, do you have like a working definition of what you consider consultation to be? Um, you know, when you explain what consultation is, do you kind of have your, your go-to operational definition? Um, I have pockets of different types of consulting that I do. So for example, um, a lot of these are too research-based. I didn't come up with these terms that they've molded from the other professionals that have done this before, but kind of client-centered consultation. So that's where I really help the consultee who's requesting for support for someone else. So most commonly, that would be a behavior teacher calling me saying, hey, I have a student, they're doing this, this, and this. And then we work through the problem. Then I might have um, a consultee-centered consulting where the goal is to just to educate them on a particular topic. So maybe I have an LSSP will call me saying, hey, I need help with MDRs. I've never done one before. Can you take me through this? What, what are some possible scenarios? We even do role-playing. I mean, it kind of might get into a little counseling at that point. <laughs> um, and then I have two other ones that I'm thinking on the top of my head, uh, program-centered consultation, which is mm -hmm. really what I love. And that's why I got into the position that I did and why I went to go get the PhD is really assisting in developing systems. Um, and that might be developing or even monitoring, progress monitoring interventions and helping support the overall system. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last, one that I am thinking of is like mediation center counseling. So I do this probably 5% of the time, doesn't happen often, um, but this is really where you I assist individuals or groups of people that can't see eye to eye um, mm -hmm. <laughs> with things. So 
uh, the district that uh, Chris and I work in, we have 32 campuses. That's a lot of personality. That's a lot of um, decision-making. So when they come together and they have meetings that there's a disagreement that I might come in and use my consulting skills to kind of mediate the situation and say, okay, well, where can we find some common ground? What's going on? So I don't really have an operational definition of those, yeah. those are kind of the four that I filter through with my job. And so maybe those are more of your classes or your, your, to, your topography of, of consultation. I really um, appreciate that. I haven't thought much about mediational uh, consultation. Um, however, you know, I think a lot of us would stay in the field a lot longer if we didn't have to deal with the adults that we have to deal with it, at some, <laughs> you know, at some times. So, and I've had it with kids too. I mean, okay. we've had, we've had, I've had situations where I've, a, a student, a teacher wants a kid out of their room. They don't get along with them or they say an inappropriate things, use profanity and really how to mediate that relationship between the teacher and the student and working with them. And again, it takes on a little bit of a counseling kind of role to it as well. And I, I think of consultation as a variant of counseling. I don't know how y'all um, feel about that. But you need those active listening skills. Yeah. <laughs> you need to establish trust because if someone doesn't trust you, they're not going to talk to you. No. Um, and just that mutual respect. And so, um, and I can and do any between student and student. Like, hey, <laughs> y'all are both fighting right now. What's going on? Have them each tell their side of the story and kind of that restorative piece. So there's a little bit of counseling and consultation where I think it kind of and collaboration comes. It blends together. together, yeah. It's all the C's. Right, right. It's all, all the C's. All the C's. C's. But yeah, Brooke. Um, so it, I was just trying to say that it wasn't just between adults, which a majority of it yeah. is, because they're kind of stuck in their ways and need a little poking. Um, but it does happen between students or teachers or even parent and, and admin. If there's disagreed R's or other things that I come in and just kind of help um, maybe alleviate some of that situation. I'm interested. Are there? Uh, you, you you had said uh, what you do is you come in and provide suggestions, and the administrators maybe make decisions. Uh, is that your language? Yes. Okay. I mean, when you say it like that, is this a bad thing? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I guess I'm I'm interested in learning what you've noticed. Uh, and I know you probably don't have data for this, but what you what have you noticed about the characteristics of those into, of your consultees um, and those who follow your suggestions versus those who may not? Yeah, so um, I was actually doing um, some behavior specialist interviews, and that was one of the questions I asked them: Is that what if you give um, a recommendation to an admin or to a teacher and they don't follow through? Or they simply tell you no. <laughs> like, what is your procedure and what do you do and what do you go through? Because I think your response is very crucial to know of how that's going to work out. So yeah, I, I haven't taken the data on that. But ultimately, I think that's how consultants, even the term consultants, even feel when they come in and offer suggestions. And if they don't take it, well, I mean, I, I offered it to you. You made that decision. I mean, that was your decision to go forth with that. The only issue is when it is a legal situation that might have future ramifications for our department where that's the only time where I don't really suggest things. And it's your decision that that might be more of, hey, this is a legal um, 
situation that you're like i strongly suggest you follow the law (laughs) yes exactly (laughs) like i don't know there's no gray area it's black and white (laughs) well jen and that makes me think is there any formal way to document these consultations or is it very informal i know districts do it differently where they want you to like write up a little summary about it and put it in the system or is it more informal for you I think it depends on the situation. I'll give you your legal term, right? <laughs> it depends. It depends. <laughs> um, but a majority of the time, I write them up for my own personal notes. Um, nothing too detailed. Of course, in any situation where we have legal or um, situate unethical situations, like I obviously have to write it down in a certain way. There are certain situations where I get consent that I don't just consult on on any student for any particular reason. There has to be good reason of why I'm consulting. And I'm very open and, and upfront with parents. And I've had really good um, feedback from parents saying, thank you for letting me know. And honestly, they just want help for their student. So generally they say, okay. And I send them the consent form that we can continue future consultation about a specific student or a specific situation. But uh, for the most part, I document my interactions because again we have 32 campuses and when someone comes up to me said hey you remember that kid we talked about (laughs) nope sure don't hard enough to remember that (laughs) when you're actually just on a campus right (laughs) i think i think chris has even (laughs) fell to that as well hey remember when we talked nope hey jen last week remember when i talked to you about that no (laughs) yeah (laughs) just because um and i consult with we have 19 lssps on staff so i don't know whose situations what um, so I write down at least memory aids for me of, hey, this is what we talked about when, uh, which also goes back to that follow through of, hey, remember when we talked about this? What did you decide? Like we talked about these three different kind of options. What was the best for that student? So I like doing some follow-ups on the consultation to see what indeed they went with um, to even go further. So, okay, now that you've tried this and those are out, let's go further and do this. So I have kind of running notes on certain situations um, to help people. Makes sense. Hey, and, and if we can pivot for one second, I know, so Kia, you do a lot of consulting in your position, don't you? Yeah, it's a it's a good chunk of my job for sure. Yeah, can, can you kind of talk <laughs> about what you do so we can kind of see from like the district perspective compared to the regional center perspective? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, most people think of my position as being about professional development. Like I'm the, I'm the guy that helps them get their ethics and diversity hours um, task, or get task, other task position, right? <laughs> yeah. Kind of, yeah. Very similar. Um, and I mean, obviously that is a big part of my job is to, you know, offer or bring in speakers to offer professional development. But another big part of my job that I spend a lot of time doing is what we call technical assistance, but it is, it is essentially consulting. I mean, my, my, my official job title is consultant. Um, and so it does come up a lot. And in that capacity, it is working with districts all over the region to address situations. And I love, um, you know, Jen's breakdown that she talked about. I would say I actually spend a lot more of my time these days doing that third style, that systems level peach, which I do love as well, um, because then you get to really help districts work on bigger, higher order changes. Like I recently worked with a district that was working to establish um, campus-wide, and this because this was this is a a, a a charter school, it was a one school, um, but they wanted to establish campus-wide grade level expectations for academic behaviors, and so I was working with the staffs 
in the different grade levels to get to look at, you know, what are we doing? How are we determining the academic behaviors we want to expect from our students in third grade, in fourth grade, in fifth grade? And how are we going to put systems in place to make ourselves accountable to teach that? And how are we going to assess for kids' mastery of those academic behaviors? And, and so how will we know that they've reached the, the, the mastery of those skills to prepare them for the next grade level? Um, and that's a huge undertaking, obviously, um, but it was a really cool experience to get to be a part of their conversations and um, participate in that role. Because um, I do really like consulting and I really like it, especially at that systems level piece. I've, I've always been a systems level person. Uh, there are challenges, just like um, Jen talked about. And it even goes beyond that, I think, for me sometimes, because I don't work there. Like, I don't, I don't work at the district. <laughs> and so it's like, if they want to ignore me, they're like, peace, you're gone today. It's like, after today, I'm never going to see you, dude. So peace yes. out. Um, and so that's why it is really important to try to build connections and work with districts consistently. Um, cause, and that's the problem I have with professional development sometimes. And we are working on that of where I do content and I'm like, here you go. And at three hours later I move on and I never, I never do anything with it. And so trying to find ways in professional development and in these, these technical assistants to build those relationships is really key because, you know, I want to be going back over and over again and continuing to see like, how's this going and where, like, like Jen said, the progress monitoring and, and the efficacy and the fidelity of the of the implementation of those changes like how is that going and what support do you need to make that keep going right i think what was important for me um just like you said kia was the relationship piece and awareness of what i do what experiences i can bring to the table right off the bat uh when i started in this district my first like gift of a project was um RDA stuff from TEA. <laughs> oh, you're in trouble. Your district in trouble for discipline. So here we go. Here's the LSSP that knows about behavior. We'll fix it. <laughs> yeah. I like it. You're their, you're their corrective action plan. They're like, yes. she's our plan. Like she's going to go in there and make it okay. Yes. That's why we hired her, you, right? Hey, what's uh, RDA like, mean? Uh, response driven accountability. Okay. So just, just for uh, other people that maybe doesn't don't know yes. not me obviously <laughs> <laughs> we got you Chris we got you um you know they love their acronyms so yeah um so I had previously worked on RDA stuff in another district so I think they're like oh great cool you're gonna fix ours too you know um so but I got to meet all the principal a majority of the principals in the district right off the bat the first two weeks that I got there I think that was pretty crucial for any district employee working to consult with them in the future. And I established that connection with them very early on into uh, my time there to say, hey, this is what I do. This is what services I can provide in the future if you ever need help. And so really establishing that rapport with them and showing them their data saying, this is the condition that your campus is in. Yeah. <laughs> with not the, the best, hello, nice to meet you. But I think they appreciate it to have a baseline of, hey, this is where we're at, but I'm going to help you and we're going to monitor uh, your plan and what you want to do and really making it their own, but giving them strategies and supports along the way. So yeah, exactly what, what Kia said, but more on a, a littler level. Right. I, I think it's really powerful though, when you, when you can do that, because and, and those relationships are really important. I really liked doing the, the consultee-centered um, mm -hmm. consultation when I was in LSSP because I felt like that was a really easy way to build relationships with the teachers at your campus. 
um, when you could come in and demonstrate value to them, it's like, I'm not just a person, like, I'm not going to come into your classroom and just watch you and talk about all the things you're doing wrong. Um, or like try to, you know, like be a mini administrator who's, who's judging you. That's not my role. But when I can go into a teacher's classroom and they're like, I'm really struggling with this student. And when I can come in and say, I have some ideas, let's put some things in place. And when they see progress, that can really go a long way to them having that connection with you. And it facilitates so much. I, I remember a teacher where we problem solved on one student and it was really remarkable kind of the progress he made. And I feel like forever or more, like if I needed anything from that teacher, like she, or like if I need anything on the campus, she was like the first person to like, be like, yeah, I got you. Like, you know, cause, because I had been able to demonstrate that I'm here to be a valuable thought partner for you mm -hmm. and to, to make things happen. And she saw buy-in, it worked, you know? And so that probably was a catalyst for other teachers as well to see, oh, well, he helped her. Now I can, you know, talk with her. And so then it creates this chain. There's a ripple effect. It snowballs, right? We all start to trust you a little bit and a little bit more. Kia. You're, remi Kia, you're reminding me of something as well with the, um, the consultee centered uh, consulting strategy or whatever we want to call it. Uh, so the, one of my jobs too, is to make PDs for LCs to deliver at their campuses. So I know LSSPs are crazy busy right now with assessments and other duties. So how I can help them better consult and do PDs and get their name out there and awareness is it I can use that as my time of, hey, I did an autism 101 training. It takes 30 minutes. Here you go. And it's kind of, it's, it's ready to go. So they can each present it at their campus. And so it's kind of a filter down to consultation way of it, something that they're seen as, but they didn't have to create it and do, do all the legwork. And it also, it's a shared message that we're giving to all the campuses. So that, that PD is essential too, to consulting further down the line. And that's what you do. You and um, all of our other awesome regional service center consultants build these awesome PDs that we can take back to our LSSPs and then they take back to their campuses. So that's awesome um, consulting work from y'all as well. And Megan, did you have a question? Oh, I was just going to ask, because you talked about how um, LSSPs are more focused on that SPED assess assessment rather than those indirect services like consultation right now, and you're doing those PDs for them and things. Why do you think that is? Why do you think they don't have that time for consultation? And then um, how can they advocate for that more comprehensive role um, to be able to do that? Yeah, so... Why do I think the time probably the same as it is anywhere else, even seeing it from the district level compliance. I mean, we're, we have to get it done and districts, that's what they want done. So um, that's probably your reason. <laughs> um, how can we get, how can we get them to see us in a different light? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, just how can we advocate for that kind of NASP practice model mm -hmm. of we can do more than this SPED assessment. We yeah. can consult with you. We can provide these indirect services for mm -hmm. not only teachers, but parents and et cetera. I mean, we need to get those signs out of our lawn that says SPED kids tested here. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that would help something. Yes. <laughs> But, but I think um, I've always thought that sign was a problem. Yeah, it's a weird one. It looks nice too. So that's the issue. No, that's our summer project, Chris. We're going to take all of them out. 
Yeah, we'll take it. And what it's it? blinking. It's a blinking sign. That's it's so true. <laughs> it's true. But I, I think, I think the biggest uh, thing that we can do is create awareness at the beginning of the year. I think those beginning of the year relationships and PDs are super important. That's where new teachers come in. And so um, at New Teacher Academy that we do with our district, I don't know if other districts do that, but be a part of it. New teachers saying, hey, I'm your school psychologist. These are the services I can provide. This is the NAS model. I do consulting, please come in. I even have bottled water. When you're thirsty, you come in here. You know, you gotta make it appealing somehow. You yeah. gotta make it like Disneyland in there. Yeah. Um, where it's interesting for them, but they, I think it's just lack of awareness and what we can do is a majority. And I think we know that, TAF knows that. Other state organizations know that as well. So the, the beginning of the year PDs are really big. Uh, throughout the, it can't just be one time too, it has to be throughout the year that we're letting them know like an email blast or a newsletter. So uh, in my previous district, I had, we had a newsletter and I had a blurb on it. So a couple tips for before, before um, school starts, here are some things teachers can do like uh, reinforcement surveys or what all about me things with your students. So just little tidbits that they knew and then might have my name, my contact information. So if teachers wanted to talk to me, then they could. Yeah, I think that's. I'm trying to think of stuff. No, that's good. I think that's a really good point, though. Uh, you know, I think stealing, you know, a move from the cigarette companies, you know, hook them while they're young. And so when you get these new teachers, these first year teachers um, on your campus, or just first year teachers overall, getting in there, you know, letting them know what you do and how you can support is really big. I love working with early career and and first year teachers for that very reason, and also because we know like they're our biggest risk. Um, you know, when it comes to attrition and turnover, because, and, and, and when you, when we exit interview them, it's lack of support. Um, they don't feel like they have support from anyone. And so for us to be that opportunity to be someone that can support them and want to help them power through those first couple of years until they're, they're comfortable in the career can be really powerful for us because we can get some stability at our campus. And then when we've, when we hook them early, when they're just looking for anybody, again, we build that relationship. Um, for the long haul. So I think it's just a really, really critical part is to hit people in that, in that first year and early career for sure. I know on my, so I've had the luxury of being on my campuses for like four or five years at this point. And I know a big thing I do with all the, anybody I supervise is I want us to be like a member of the campus, right? Not just the school psychologist on that campus. So I am fully integrated in everything. I have a big open door policy. So they can come in. They can have conversations with me anytime. I participate. Is that because you don't actually have a door? Like, do you? No, no, have, like, I, I you, took like, it off. I took I it off. Say, you know, because well, like I, I was saying, you're shoved in like a little problem. side corner. You don't actually have a room. That's why you have an open door policy. It's because yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's more of a hallway than a room. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I, I participate in everything. I do field day. I do secrets. I, all those things to be part of the campus. And that just what Kia and Jen were talking about earlier, just building that trust with them, um, and doing good work you know, I think it leads to them to be able to be comfortable having conversations with me about things like behavior, or if this is a good referral, or what other things can we do, you know, helping structure your SPED team and like, you know, what it's going to look like in the next year. That's what we're working on right now. One of my campuses is, you know, it just really hasn't worked the past couple of years. So what are we going to do next year, right? And it's always, I think, a pitfall of education. I don't think this can be changed is, 
you never know what something works until like a couple of years down the line because education is not immediate, right? So even we're changing on, we're changing one of the early grades on one of my campuses, but we don't know if it's going to work until they go to, you know, second or third or fourth grade, right? And we see what progress they've made. So the trial and error process can be frustrating, but being part of it and wanting to be a part of it too, I think that's really at least helped me on at my campuses as far as having and building that trust with everybody. I mean, having a piece on um, faculty meetings mm-hmm. where I say something at the faculty meetings, because I don't know, some of my friends personally, they're like, oh, faculty meeting. Nope, I'm not included because I'm not not one of the, the teachers. <laughs> but I think that is an opportunity where you can be a part of it. Again, give a couple tips or things that you would like to see done. Be there in the morning to go help kids get out of the car or put, I, I'm, I'm just saying any chance that you can get yes um and so even at district level i will insert myself to different campuses on days like that and go help out saying hey i'm here today what do you need for star monitoring testing i'll sign up for being a monitor test at one of the campuses just so i'm there and then they can ask me hey what do you do oh let me tell you and what can i do for you Uh, i feel like a sales a salesperson like we're asking for more work, but uh, it's it, like you said, Megan, it's important. It's important that they know what we can do and to get away from this testing stereotype that we have. I'm having, I'm having a lot of regret right now, just about the way that I, um, just because you guys are talking about some really awesome ideas that I wish I had followed when I was, or when it was early on in my career. Um, you know, I worked in, in co-ops and I'm dealing with nine different campuses and nine different principals and none of them really wanted any of us there, but yet there was probably a couple of campuses that would have enjoyed just having more access. And, and I'm thinking to myself, why didn't I just go and spend more time in, in those, with those principals and with those teachers who really, and so I, that, that's my takeaway right now, um, especially for those of our listeners who, who may be early on in their career is, um, you know, look for those opportunities that there is a welcoming principal and administrator and who's willing to listen and wants your advice and wants your input and sees your, the way that you work with kids and the way that you work with families and, and just, man, pay them attention, (laughs) Um, give it to them. I'm real interested, um, Jen, about maybe specific recommendations that you might have for those of us who face a lot of resistance in our consultation um, those naysayers, I call them dream stealers sometimes, um, because they just, they just, they, they snatch our dreams away from us. Um, but, uh, what, what, what kind of, are there specific strategies that we need to be thinking about when working with those, uh, those teachers or those administrators that just have a hard, hard time being receptive to our suggestions and to our recommendations? I can't say that I haven't a magic wand, uh, just like any teacher, any uh, person that wants consultation for me that I, I preface with that. Like, I don't have a cure. I don't have some, you know, Mary Poppins bag with, with magic solutions. Um, but there's stuff that we can try. And if you're willing to try, then, then we can get at this. Uh, I, I think it is similar to counseling where you can't make someone change. They have to want at some degree or some level to want to do better or want to do 
change the situation that they're in. Uh, I think this, your question reminded me of a student that I had that was a very, my most difficult student that refused to talk to me, wanted nothing to do with me, didn't want to go to counseling in the fun room with a bean bag and games and stuff. And, and I was floored. <laughs> this kid didn't want to come with me, you know, um, but I accepted that. And every day that it was time to do counseling or every week, I would go sit next to him. <laughs> and then his friends would be like, hey, what are you doing? I said, oh, I, I'm just sitting here in class and his friends would talk to me. So then after a while, the next time he might maybe say one word to me. So it's kind of, you know, building that trust with them. And it just like what we talked about with other staff is building that trust. And if it's not the first time that you meet with them, that's okay. Say, you know what? Here's my office. Here's my contact information. Come talk to, come talk to me if you want. Um, but I'll be back next week and we yeah. can, we can try this again because ultimately you're doing it for the best interest of the child. And that's what we're all here for. And so I know we might have some teacher naysayers. We have admin naysayers, so forth. We're all here for kids and we want kids to do better. So I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for. Um, I can think about it and write them down. <laughs> I wasn't prepared for this question. We, um, we, need, a, we need a blog or a meme. <laughs> I, th I think one of the things we have to do is, is, is we also have to recognize that when we're talking about consultation with those, those adults who may be you know, more difficult, that adult learning is, is different than child learning. Um, and, and so we have to keep that in mind of like, we can't use some of the same ideas when it comes to how do we help people learn and grow that we do with kids who, you know, are still early in their development and, and have things going on versus adults. Like we have to make sure that we engage with them, that we have immediate practical steps with them, that we honor and respect their past experience um, and knowledge, because, you know, we're not dealing with you know, a seven-year-old who doesn't know how to manage their emotions. And that's why we're trying to consult in that way. We're dealing with a teacher with, you know, X number of years of experience and practice. And so that has to be respected in that process of consultation um, in, in order to build some trust and not get them to shut down. And like Jen said, this is by no means a miracle. I can't, you know, I got to take this idea and then be like, oh, all of my naysayers have just now want to work with me all the time. But um, it's just how we kind of have to start chipping away at that process. So I think spending some time, you know, researching and learning about how do adults learn um, is, is really helpful because we, we do have to shift our strategies a little bit. And yeah, I actually, go ahead, Megan, sorry. I was actually in a PD yesterday with Michael Bonner. He is a teacher. Um, yeah, I forgot where, Former, but he was on uh, Ellen. He was, a, he was a NASPA, he was the NASP keynote speaker a few years ago. Yes, yes. yeah. He's so amazing. He talked He's amazing. So he's, he called naysayers fundamentalist, but yeah. <laughs> He had four different, uh, four different types of school staff members. I forgot. I know that one, two of them were the fundamentalists on one extreme and the believers on another extreme. And the believers just want to make change. They want to hear all the input, in, input from people and have all the consulting and all the collaboration. And he said, really, what you have to do is just team up with your believers in your school if you're having trouble with those naysayers and show them the difference that you're making in the believers classroom or with the admin who are believers and show them what change you can make there and model it for them. And hopefully they will see that if they're not taking in information you're giving. So I thought that was really good 
information from him. Very yeah, relevant, Megan. Thank you. It's the buy-in. It truly is what we talked about earlier too. It's a buy-in. If they see that it's working, it's more likely to work for me if it worked for him. Yeah. What, right? what Kia was talking about, this is, they are not a sponsor or anything like that, but it was a book recommendation Kia actually had called Think Again by Adam Grant. But a lot sponsor of the stuff us, you said, sponsor us if you want. Yeah, I mean, yeah, 100% <laughs> if you want to, sir. But, um, but right, Kia, I mean, they kind of talk about that, you know, how did you approach conversations, difficult, motivational listening, things like that, right? Yeah, there's a lot of skills in there. I'm a big fan of that book and 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 Dr. Grant and his work. And yeah, if he if he sponsored us and came on this, po on this podcast, I'd probably die. Okay. Um, but yeah, <laughs> the idea that, again, you know, when you're talking about trying to have a conversation with someone who has differing beliefs than you, like in the, in the case of consultation, you know, often it's the idea that like, we can do things in your setting and with this kid that will be effective. And maybe the consultee is like, no, I've done everything I can. There's nothing that's going to work in this situation. And you can't just come in and direct opposition to that um, yeah. because of how they're going to respond. Because again, we're dealing with adults who have a lot of past experience and expertise and, and knowledge. And so we have to, to rethink how we, we do that process to steal Adam's uh, phrase there. How to be a good and, negotiator, right? <laughs> and it's very, and it's very different knowledge and experience as well. Being LSSPs trying to consult with a teacher that has very different experience and training. Um, I have a little bit of a cheating method. Uh, my husband's a teacher. So I have that. Uh, <laughs> I do that same thing, Jen. I got, I'm like, no, my yes. wife's a teacher. I get it. I get it. <laughs> I know. I totally use that. But actually, I, I do put him to work that when I'm thinking of different strategies or maybe more outside the box than normal, I'll ask him, hey, is this practical? You know, in a high school setting, would this be something that you would try or you would be open to? So I, I do have a little treating strategy where I get to run ideas through him because sometimes he'll be like, no, <laughs> don't ever <laughs> tell someone that a high school teacher that they will just laugh at you. <laughs> and so I'm like, well. okay, yeah, that's not going to go well. Okay. Write that note down. No, I wasn't going to try that anyways. Um, so yeah, and it really helps to, to have someone that, you know, that you can talk to as well um, about things like that. And that's again, coming to trust of just because you're consulting with someone doesn't mean you can go consult with another person and get their opinions and what their thoughts are. You know, we're all uh, in this together and we're all consultants. Yeah, we all do it. So we're getting kind of close to the end here where we kind of wrap it up. I'm going to shoot lightning questions at you. All right. And they're just going to be random okay. things. All right. You ready? So what would you do if you were not in your current position? Is pay an issue? Nope. Just your dream job. Sportscaster would be pretty cool. That'd be badass. Uh, You'd be a good one. paid to watch yeah. and talk sports. I know Brooke would love that too. But also, <laughs> I don't I don't have the radio voice that Kia has, so. You can have a, I'll, we, we, I'll work on it. There's an audience for all of us, don't worry. Um, <laughs> what's your favorite behavior to work with? So the unusual ones, I know that's not, most people don't like unusual ones, but I do that require very thorough investigation. Uh, I think LSSPs and BCBAs have that in common where they like that case conceptualization of what's going on. I kind of, you know, want to play Dick Tracy and figure out what's, what can I do and provide intervention. That's because we're all amazing problem solvers. That's the reason why. Exactly. So what is, a, what is a TV show you usually recommend? 
I don't particularly watch TV, but I have a lot of those streaming services. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is I don't pay for any of them. I don't know if there's a name for those people. You just admitted that on an international podcast. (laughs) Both of our listeners are going to report you. So be watch out. Yeah. Very by the book. (laughs) Well, I think I'm pretty sure my mom pays for that though. Because don't you pay on Netflix for like a separate. Oh, see, you got grandmothered in, right? See, (laughs) see. Anything that's on the streaming network, I like documentaries, psychological thrillers. Yeah, um, moment of silence for Zoe's uh, extraordinary playlist that just got canceled. Oh, yes, Chris and I like that show. It's phenomenal. If you like musicals, it is fantastic, and as a bit of a, Jen and I were actually talking about earlier today and going in depth about the psychological aspect of it, where she can hear everybody's inner thoughts through song. So you get to do nice interpretations. It's fantastic. You just keep recommending that to me, and I still haven't watched it. Because annoyingly, you haven't watched it yet, so I have to keep bringing it up. And you just <laughs> reminded me. I'm like, oh yeah, I haven't watched that. All right. So how about let's do an easy one. Favorite assessment to give? Standardized the KBC. Just it's engaging students enjoy it. I enjoy yep. giving it, which is interesting because I wasn't even taught that assessment in my program, which what? I, uh, <laughs> I complained to Lori close about it all the time. I'm like, why did you never teach us the KABC? And she said, we went with the DOS because they had the early years and the school age. Fair enough. Ugh, There's well always played, so but KABC is way better, yeah. <laughs> but if it's indirect assessment, I like interviews and building that rapport and asking kids the really fun questions. Like if you had three wishes, and you couldn't yeah. risk for more wishes, what would it be? Yeah. Um, awesome, so. awesome. All right, and two more. What is a, a weird or fun fact about yourself? I mean, you told me the other day you did motocross at some point. I did, I did. I also played soccer my whole life. Um, very, very into sports. I was into theater, <laughs> did theater my whole life. I did some plays at the local theater. I did it in uh, college even. My brother and I, when we were growing up, we would make our own movies. Um, I think we did like Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe way before the actual movie came out. We did our own version. Yeah, you guys I did don't know first, why right? they didn't call us. Um, <laughs> so I like acting. I'm not a very good singer, but I love to dance. So I'm pretty sure I would be really good at lip sync battles. Oh, yeah. So yeah. at our na- next like task organization meeting, I think we should talk about having a lip sync battle um, yeah. Thing at one of the conventions. I think that would be. Yeah, Kia, we can offer some type of PD, right? <laughs> I'm sure we can get credit for that. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a favorite play or Broadway show or anything like that or musical? No. So I was talking to Chris uh, the other day about Zoe's play. I don't even like musicals. I don't know why. I was never in choir. I have a horrible voice. I like to sing, but even my husband will just turn the music down. Yeah. Like that's how probably bad I am. But I can get at some some lip syncing because then I just don't have to sing at all for you and burn your ears. Um, so yeah, no musicals. Uh, theater plays. Uh, I've been a little consumed with academics lately, so oh I haven't God. really cop out answer. <laughs> hate. Yeah. So I've been going through the Jagged Little Pill Broadway playlist because that thing is phenomenal. And I also think that's a seminal album that came out in the 90s. It didn't really talk to me because I was less than 10. But (laughs) speaking, I love that album. It's phenomenal. All right. Last question. What just brings you joy in life that is not family? Anything else? Because the cop-out answer is family. 
besides being asked to be on a podcast with you guys <laughs> obviously i know this is a life goal oh wow that's a two-point wow. answer sparks my joy um i'm a dog lover i love my my dogs i know that's kind of cheating with family no. um but i don't have kids those are my kids i dress them up they have birthdays it's a thing yeah it's phenomenal awesome well you know we're getting towards the end here um from anybody else on the panel is there any last comments or anything else you guys want to say before we finish off today brooke megan kia i was just gonna say i wish we had a jen baker at every um district no, she's <laughs> yes, we, all, we all need a district school psychologist <laughs> like dr baker at, at all of our campuses yes i would love i honestly would love that because um to be to be wanted and needed where people are emailing and calling and asking you that are not lssc's which i love the time that i have with the lssc's don't get me wrong obviously but, your best friends yes we are they, they are my best friends Chris included <laughs> um but that's just so powerful I think to again putting awareness in the field and showing what else that we can do besides um just testing but don't get me wrong I do do miss testing because I'm sure you don't hear that right now from anyone <laughs> but me so um this summer I will be testing because we need to we need to catch up and it gives me back that practice that I need to stay current in my assessment giving Awesome. Anything else from anybody else? Brooke, I saw you go off mute for a second. Yeah, no, just thinking about um, some of the threads that our podcasts have uh, been been running. And I'm, I'm hearing this one thread um, again today, just really about advocacy. Um, I think about uh, some of our, our um, guests over the past couple of weeks, um, maybe even like Andrea Amador, who started um, trying to expand the practice model in Boston public schools and just started with three or four campuses. Mm -hmm. um, and I hear Jen talking about, you know, we got to we got to find those campuses that want us there. Um, and I hear Laurie Close talking about how we we take our chair to the table, we take our chairs to the meetings, and we must become the change. Um, and, and as school psychologists, we, we, we're always thinking, well, I'm, I'm a tester, I'm an assessment, I'm, this is my skill, I'm an evaluator. But there are these other little things that are um, nuanced that we have to embrace uh, as a professional. Yeah. Um, and so I, I appreciate you hitting on that again today, Jen. Thank you, bro. Thank you. It's a good way to oh, end. One it. last thing before Par parents too. I show I made parent trainings and I do in-home training assessments and I provide some of those services um, in my district as well. So parents are just as um, important audience that we need to be reaching as well. Beautiful. So I wanted to add that, bro. Thanks for saying that. Thank you, Jay. Thank you. Well, I want to thank the listeners again for joining us on the Task Talks podcast. We know that by listening to us, you are giving us your most precious and rarest commodity, your attention. And you know, that's not, there's so many things that pull you around these days, but I'm glad that you're giving us your 45 minutes to an hour, whether it's driving to work or driving home or sitting at your house. And remember to follow our official Task Facebook and Instagram accounts at TXASP where you get all the up-to-date info on what is happening in our field and what the board is currently up to. You can also email us at podcast at txasp.org. If you have any questions or you just want to give us corrective feedback on what we may be doing wrong, we're always, we love that type of stuff. Um, and until next time, make good choices.
Chris, did you ever find the secret track at the end of Jagged Little Pill? What? There, in the original CD for Jagged Little Pill, the last, the last track, there's like 20 minutes of dead air. And then after that, there's a secret track. Brooke and I are like, what? Are you... I have no idea what they're even talking about right now. A lot is more said. Angry white woman in the early I don't 90s. I know these no. random things. It's all just <laughs> things.